0: Hey, welcome back everyone to the Long Lens Podcast. This is the podcast where I answer questions from my YouTube community and just talk about filmmaking and YouTube. Today we have a really special guest on the podcast, Stephen Bell. Stephen is a very talented Toronto-based videographer and YouTuber and opera singer. He specializes in narratives, music videos, travel films, and a lot more. Steven is also the co-host of a podcast for creators called Studio 29, which I was recently on. Lastly, Steven is also the founder and creative director of a full service production company called Coffee Shop Film and Creative. Steven and I have been YouTube friends for a while now, originally based on our mutual appreciation for Micro Four Thirds cameras. Steven's YouTube channel currently has over 5,000 subscribers where he shares his thoughts on filmmaking gear and tips for video creators. Steven, thank you so much for hopping on my podcast and talking to me. Uh, thank you so much for having me be here. That's quite the introduction. Thanks. Yeah. Well, I mean, dude, you you wear a lot of hats and you do a lot of really good stuff. So that's pretty cool.
1: Thank you. As do you. So it's, uh, it's awesome having a chance to hop on the podcast.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, I guess like the first question that I have for you is kind of like where you got your start in filmmaking because I kind of... I kind of know where you started at on like YouTube because I feel like when I was posting for a while I kind of saw you pop up and you were doing a lot of stuff with the G9 but like how did you actually get started in your video journey?
1: Ooh, that's a long story but uh, yeah pretty much my journey through film or into film was actually inspired by many people like you so I started because uh, I don't have a traditional film school background uh, I learned myself from the magical world of YouTube so I started working with film I guess for getting the inspiration behind it in about 2016 17 and uh, from there just you know the, the idea of learning really was something I live by and, and learning from all these channels and, and gear ideas and solutions and then you try it yourself and then you make a couple of videos and and the more and more you do it the uh, the more and more you get hooked to it so from there just like editing skills and video camera you know skills as well as like filmmaking team building I guess, tutorials that I did on YouTube as well. So kind of what it was like to make a company and what you could expand with. And since my company first started in web design, we wanted to make video headers for clients and thought, well, let's combine those skills together and, and allow the company to grow both in video and web. And then video just like took over coffee shop now. So uh, yeah, it's, it's like you begin with learning, you continue with learning. It's always like lifelong learning. And that's how I kind of envision my, my journey
0: through film so far. Oh, that's awesome. And, like, so, so you started your primary, or, like, I guess you started as a graphic designer, is that what you said? A web designer? Yeah, I did. Yeah.
1: Yeah, well, I mean, obviously, there's opera and all the music stuff I did. But yeah. from the media side of things, I have a certificate and a diploma for, like, graphic and web design so oh, wow. that's how i founded my freelance company was making websites for essentially artists and companies and all that kind of jazz from there like the the skills you learn in web design you probably can attest to this like seeing your videos as well like title graphics animations transitions all that kind of stuff is kind of rooted in graphic design so yeah. i really kind of ran with that idea and was able to uh kind of incorporate that into my videos and spice them up so to say
0: it's kind of cool I feel like a lot of people that I know who you know were in a creative sphere before they got into video are always like really good at video stuff because they already have that eye you know <laughs> uh, how long was it did you a uh, pretty quickly transition your your love for video into like paid work or did it take a little while for you to like because you know you're already doing your graphic design mm-hmm, but, like mm-hmm. when did you start actually like you know getting hired Uh, to do video i mean i guess i started when i first you
1: know began asking friends and clients on like do you need a video like i want the experience i want to grow a portfolio how can we make this work and so a lot of my friends also worked in realty so i or real estate i guess so i started making videos in real estate lifestyle videos for some clients and friends here in toronto and uh, that kind of gave me like a bit of a leg up to learn, I guess, making promotional and making features and all that kind of stuff and, and getting the raw skills down of shot lists and storyboards and, and kind of making things short and snappy. So that was kind of where I began. And it's, I think, something I often tell people who want to get into YouTube and video is like, if you have people who need the video or who want to work with you, work with those people, because that kind of gives you the 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 way of finding projects and inspiration without having to like delve into Facebook groups or whatever else to look for projects or look for postings and that kind of thing.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think it's really good. I mean, I'll probably circle back to that topic in just a bit, but um, the next question I kind of wanted to have, and this is just Cause like I listen to your podcast too. And so I kind of know that we're both, we're both kind of gear heads. Oh yeah, Um, totally. (laughs) But I would love to know, like, I'd love to know what your gear journey has been. Cause I first started watching your channel, I think when you were using the Panasonic G9, but I know that you've gone through a few cameras since then.
1: Yeah, I started with the G7, I think was my first Panasonic camera. Okay. Um, And then went to the G85. Which mm-hmm. I, I love that camera that was the first camera I took on vacations with me so that was okay. like the travel cam kind of thing so and that that is still such a good camera and I kind of wish I never sold it so yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah I went from that uh, gd5 to a g9 which is kind of where the mm-hmm. videos and the YouTube channel took off and uh, then what else did I, I went after that the G g9 then I went to a, a, a Zcam which I oh, used the yeah. Zcam e2s6 which is another phenomenal camera, not for like, you know, quick YouTube stuff and realtor shoots or like promotional brand videos, but more like filmmaking. So I had that, then I went to the Lumix S5 and then there's some drones somewhere in there. And now mm-hmm. I have a Canon C70, which is my main work camera, as well as the uh, the Lumix S5 and the, sometimes the Canon C300 and the yeah. C500 is where I'd like to go, but I can't afford it right now. So, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but that kind of like, there's so many different camera systems, as you know, too, like you, you work on one, or if you work on a shoot that wants you to utilize like a RED or an ARRI or a Sony camera, like knowing these cameras, which I've learned through rentals as well, really gives you that kind of experience where you learn all the the different kind of user interfaces that go with the camera to make it work for a project. Absolutely. What
0: made you settle on the C70?
1: So many reasons. I mean, I highly recommend picking up one yourself as well if you're ever looking to get into that. But yeah. the, the C70, so Eric, my my shooting partner and I, he's a photographer also based in the city. Check out Eric Moniz. So he was the one who actually got me into the idea of working in the Canon environment, because I'd never had an experience coming from Lumix and everything else. Um, yep. The C70 is fantastic. It's got, you know, so many different shooting modes. It can shoot in the, the Canon color system, which is is wonderful. It's a compact yeah. form of cinema camera. Uh, it's easily riggable, so you can deck it out in all sorts of rails and focus motors and all that kind of stuff to really make it a versatile camera. It's a Super 35 sensor, which I love. It, it's, it has, doesn't have a run limit time on it. I mean, like it's such a really smart camera. It's also durable, weather sealed, all that kind of jazz. Yeah. But it does such great performance with like anamorphic lenses or even traditional Canon cinema lenses. If you want to, has a great autofocus system, eye detection, all that kind of jazz. If, if Canon wants to send me any products, they're more <laughs> than welcome <laughs> to send yeah. products for review. But yeah, it's for any filmmaker, it's worth the investment because it's a camera that they constantly keep up dating the firmware like there's something that comes out almost like once a year now for the c70 making it like almost a new camera every time these firmware updates come out
0: yeah there was just a release for a raw light wasn't there yeah
1: which is another amazing color
0: profile which allows you to do so much in post yeah that's something that like i've definitely craved a little bit because I you know I, I like I mostly use hybrid cameras mm-hmm. and there are like there is a part of me that's just like man it'd be nice to have like just a video dedicated camera because you know for all like the reasons that you said like you know there's no runtime limit proper audio stuff that's like all built right in like the body feels like it's built for video not you know video and photo yeah so I totally I totally get that and like I haven't used a Canon probably since the ADD back when I had it. But one thing that like, especially when I was living in Portland, every single one of my friends shot Canon, you know, there are a lot of uh, photographers and filmmakers out there. So I could always like borrow lenses and, you know, like swap gear and stuff like that when I needed it. That's huge. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, I don't know that many people that shoot, you know, like micro four thirds or even on like the L mount system back when I had the S5. <laughs> so like I either rent it or I buy it, you know, like I don't really have friends that shoot like alongside me. Well, I,
1: I think that's a big thing too, is that when you start working on certain sets, if you get, you know, hired on to, being the, obviously a camera op or a DP, but if you're working as an AC or something on a set and they're shooting on, I mean, most, let's be honest, they shoot on REs and all that stuff and, and yeah. high-end cameras, but there are many you know, media production houses in the cities that we're in that utilize Canon systems. And if they wanna hire you in, if you know that Canon system it's worth investing in it because it's like the entry level way of getting into bigger projects I found. So like yeah. learning how to use that Canon system, like the time code options are fantastic on it. And, you know, time code is so paramount when it comes to doing any, you know, bigger format, multiple speaker labs and everything else running with boom audio to make sure you have high quality sound for your sound recording. And that's where the C70 also shines. Um, yeah. The only beef I have with C70 is that Premiere Pro hates the Canon
0: MXF files, I think they're called. Yeah, I've heard that. I've heard that.
1: They're horrible to work with, but...
0: Um, oh yeah, see, and you and me are both Premiere users. Yes, yes. Do you use anything other than Premiere? Like color stuff in DaVinci at all? Or I no? should, but yeah. I don't. Um, yeah. I,
1: basically, I've, I've dabbled a bit in DaVinci, and I want to jump mm. into the system full-time because it yeah. just has so much better value now in 2023 is like I saw in your latest video like you know trends to what you want to aim towards in the new year yeah. and that's one big one for me is learning Da Vinci because mm-hmm. not only that but I found like working with production houses they only work in Da Vinci or Ovid they don't really work yeah. in Premiere for the most part so Why
0: not learn that system in case they ever need to use your skills? So, yeah, I mean, I've been slowly learning DaVinci. I feel like I can color in it like relatively well, but it's just the cutting. Like, I'm like, I can cut so much faster in Premiere. Yeah. And there's just little tiny things that I still don't know how to do in DaVinci. And, Luckily I have a friend now who like knows DaVinci really well. So maybe I'll have him uh, teach me, but it's just like those stupid little things like, like uh, ripple delete and you know, putting like the audio transitions on all your clips in like a couple of, you know, key clicks or whatever, like all that kind of stuff. It's just, I can't, let go of it and like not be able to do it, you know? So it's just, it's totally true. It's true. It's
1: when you get used to the idea of working in a system like Premiere for as long as we have also like your film nitrates, uh, plugins that you use that Mm -hmm. I've now started to dabble a bit in. Like you, it's amazing to get to the end results of having such a high quality color grade. But like, I love your color grades that you have in your LUT packs. So huge mm-hmm. shout out to all Nigel's listeners, go download his LUT packs. They're incredible. <laughs> Thanks man. <laughs> um, but yeah, no worries. The, I've used them myself. So I mean like yeah. long time uh, listener, first time user kind of thing too. But yeah, yeah. Um, the idea of using the, the film Nitrate, you can still make it look, cause it matches to whatever camera, like even Olympus to the, to the C70 for example too. Yeah. But uh, that's something that I know DaVinci has, you know, kind of the, the style of a built-in with the node uh, style mm-hmm. of, of color grading. You don't have to get all these additional
0: plugins that Premiere sometimes doesn't like to work with. But uh, yeah. but yeah. I feel like a film convert nitrate is one of the things that I feel has made my whole like editing process easier too. Because in DaVinci, you have like a different color tab for mm-hmm. like you know, like your coloring. Whereas in Premiere, you can just kind of like drag and drop you know, film convert nitrate and like all your clips, if you want them all to be, you know, portrait 400, you just, you know, click the type of camera that it was shot on. Boom. Oh, and totally. It color graded super quickly. Like,
1: yeah. And I think also like if you can get the result done without having to hop into Da Vinci, fantastic. And yeah, there's a lot of, interesting ideas that you can really kind of get that certain level of color style that you want from film nitrate. So that's a really, yeah, yeah I think that's where Premiere kind of shines is that, that ease of use, um, of being yeah. able to work in that and then pop in your timeline and, you know, the libraries of transitions and effects that you can get. Um, obviously it's such a great program, but, there's the there quirks too, like, you know, the gamma compensation that you have to pop on at the end, yes, which
0: I, can't, I, I don't understand why they still have that. Like, why? <laughs> like, yeah, that seems like such a simple software fix too. just like, hey, just put us in the right color space when we export. Like, it doesn't make any sense that we have to do that color space transform. <laughs> like, so dumb.
1: Right. I mean, even like I was on support once with Canon and not Canon, I was on support once with Adobe for an issue I was having with time code because massive problem with the Canon multicam system I was working with in Mm a sequence where I actually had to get Adobe support on the phone and even on like why it was having issues with a brand new Mac Studio, which not to you know, chide away at uh, Adobe. But there was an issue with Adobe Premiere Pro, which I think they may have fixed in the latest update. But long story short, they had this uh, tech who was helping me out. And even he said on the phone in support, oh, don't make sure, make sure you get that QT sensation or gamma compensation yeah. cube for your export. Yeah. And I'm like,
0: wow, dude, you're saying this. Like, why? Like, I don't understand. <laughs> like, every other, I'm pretty sure even, like, LumaFusion, you don't have to do stuff like that, you no. know, and that's just like the... I don't know. Yeah, it's really it's really frustrating. But that almost so you use a Mac Studio. Is that pretty? Yeah. Does it run Premiere like relatively well? Because I still am on a 2019 MacBook Pro, and sometimes Premiere can really chug, and I don't understand why. And it's like. I'm, you know, I'm feeding it footage from a camera from 2017, like, yeah. what is my 2019 MacBook, why can't it handle this, you know? It's well, so Well,
1: it, it is funny, it's basically on the codec I find a lot with the cameras that that dictates the speed of Premiere Pro, mm-hmm. but, number one, I hate proxies, and I know proxies, yeah, they do speed same. it up, but I just hate making them, it takes it's yeah. such needless time away from a project. So. You know, for proxy users out there, I'm sorry, I'm a purist. I like popping it on the timeline and, and, you know, hitting the green button and go. When it comes to working with the system, I find that, like, the studio is good. It's not like it's not. My 2020 or 2021 MacBook Pro 16, it was the M1 Pro chip, I think. Not the Ultra, but the M1 Pro. Like, I sometimes find it's faster than my Mac Studio. And it (sighs) has... The same amount of RAM, the studio has supposedly a faster processor, but yet my Mac, my MacBook Pro seems to work quicker, go figure. I have no idea why, (laughs) but maybe I I find like, obviously there's the better, you know, the updates come out for Premiere Pro. Sometimes the performance does improve, Um, but then there's to say like all of 2022 at the beginning was a mess with Premiere and people were just going back to 2021, which you shouldn't have to do. So. Uh, the studio, I mean, talking about Apple products, the studio is great. It has good value. I would recommend not investing in the Ultra chip. Did a like a deep dive into YouTube videos, finding out like what's the best option for investment into this new computer. And you know, I found that the basic version of the Mac Studio was fine with the uh, the M1 Pro, I believe, or M1 Max, yeah. M1 Max chip, I think. Um yeah, yeah. But now there's the M2s and the M2 whatever they are. So it's so yeah, many- I just saw that. That
0: new Mac Mini M2 or something like that.
1: Which is so fast. I saw it actually,
0: my my friend uh, was doing a display for Apple and it's lightning quick. That's kind of where I'm leaning. I'm wondering if like, you know, when the M1s first came out and, you know, Adobe uh, Premiere wasn't even available, that was right when I was, you know, trying to buy a new uh, laptop, you know? And so it's just like, well, do I either get like these brand new M1 uh, MacBooks or do I, you know, buy like last year's model because I know that Premiere will work well on it? Yeah. So now it's just like, like I feel like Adobe's probably going to just forget about the uh, the Intel Mac users and just never like, you know, fix any of the issues that we have. So because like <laughs> yeah. a year ago, a year ago, Premiere was cutting through all my footage like butter, perfect. Yeah. And now with all the new updates, I feel like they updated it for like the M1 systems, but yes. like it just doesn't work as well on the intel anymore and it's kind of annoying.
1: I mean, it's it's interesting to see how premiere works the best. I've found working only in prores files. So yeah. everything shot on a prores based camera or a camera that offers the prores codec that goes straight to the file into the into the edit was yeah. the most efficient like the Zcam I could shoot at 6K ProRes. I could shoot at whatever codec. Working with Red footage for Projected recently, that wasn't my camera, but the the shot was all in Red, uh, for yeah. Red ProRes, and like it was butter, you know. Whereas like yeah. taking something out of a Canon C70, you know, in in long GOP, uh, like that shouldn't be that slow, but. ProRes, like cameras that can offer ProRes is such a huge investment to to do. And I think it's a smart investment because your yeah. camera
0: system, especially Premiere and Apple, just like ProRes. Yeah, I mean, back when I had the original uh, Blackmagic Pocket, like I would shoot in ProRes Proxy a lot, which was like a smaller size. Because like, you know, like ProRes HQ and ProRes 422, like, you know, you can fill up a 64 gig SD card in like five minutes sometimes, you know, that's that's like the one thing about ProRes that I don't like, but like if they could start making cameras that like, you know, recorded in ProRes proxy or uh, ProRes LT yeah that'd be perfect because that's like way better than like most of the you know the highly compressed video files that we have anyways but. you
1: should get uh, your hands on like a say a, a Z Cam E2 F6 it, it shoots yeah. I think the the shooting styles of uh, ProRes forty two HQ LT they're all there in the you know the menu system so you can directly yeah. shoot into that which is yeah. a huge, huge benefit. Yeah, it's it's really a, a game changer and a time saver when it comes to the files, and you still maintain that high quality.
0: I wanted to talk to you a little bit too about the new Panasonic camera, the Pretty, S5 isn't it? Mark II. Because <laughs> yeah. you and I, like I used to be an S5 owner and you still own one, right? Yeah, so you sold your S5? Or you, did you not? I actually to... did, yeah. Um, ah. I sold it like, I don't know, like a year or two ago just because I wanted to fund some other yeah for gear sure. purchases but now it's funny because like the s5 ii came out and it's kind of made the original s5 go down in price so much that i almost want to just buy the original again just because i liked that camera so much but yeah like what are your thoughts on the s5 mark ii do you feel like it's something that you might actually upgrade to
1: i mean one of the worst things that i do is when i see a new new piece of gear i'm always like i have to get it yeah. And uh, whenever like new gear releases come out, especially with DJI, like with drones, I have to actually turn them off. Cause I'm like, yeah. you know, you, you only think about getting the latest and the greatest, but um, the, the new system that uh, Lumix is offering with the DCS5, the two and the, mm-hmm. I think it's the 2X is uh, yeah. the top model it's yeah. it's a beautiful camera and the autofocus is incredible and one question i was going to ask you is didn't lumix ask you to go to tokyo because i saw all these <laughs>
0: content creators go but you've shot so much of lumix I, I would expect yeah, you dude, to go it's funny uh my last podcast uh, someone asked me that in the questions like hey like it seems like everyone that they flew out to japan rarely even shoots on panasonic and you've i been know with them for like 10 years i'm just like I think it's mostly because I stopped talking about their S5. And I just, I don't really talk about, you know, Panasonic stuff as much since I shoot Olympus now. So fair enough. Yeah. I don't know. Or it's just, you know, they forgot and they. I don't know. Like I'm not salty at them or anything for not flying. No, me no, too, no, no, no. Of course, of course. If yeah. Like if they ever wanted to send me an S52, I definitely would uh, do a review on it. But yeah, Panasonic yeah, I
1: mean, send them out an S52. 5 That would be yeah, or S52X. But uh, yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's it's cool to see that they have moved now to finally the the phase detect autofocus. Yeah which is yeah. wonderful because the contrast-based autofocus, even looking at my last YouTube video put up for the OC monitor, which is another topic we can talk about later. Yeah. But uh, yeah, like you even sometimes see slight pulsing, which mm-hmm. like I'm in a control space in my studio, lights not changing, I'm, I haven't even moved, and the camera yeah. decides to hunt for something else briefly. So yeah. that's a huge thing to see that they now have that. But I mean aside the the sensor is still similar in terms of the megapixel like looking at the the specs mm-hmm. on my side screen here but the 6K options are awesome and internal ProRes capture makes the S2X the one model I would go for if anyone's looking to invest in that uh, that new S S52 because yeah. internal ProRes as we just mentioned is a game changer so if it, yeah. if you can do that now in a Lumix camera oh sign me up like that's that's awesome yeah. Um, but yeah, 6k internal, that's kind of like the, uh, the S1H or the S, uh, kind of like it's similar in design. Yeah. Dual cooling fans. Yeah. Uh, op- open gate recording is awesome. The image stabilization mm-hmm. was already
0: good to begin with. So I don't know what yeah. they could do to improve that. And it's got a full size HDMI too, doesn't it? Yes, it does. Yeah which is a big thing that that's like the one gripe that I've heard from, you know, from some people who have used the original S5 is they just, they really wanted that full size HDMI. It's, well, that the
1: the cable for that is really small for the mini, you know, or is it micro HDMI or mini HDMI? I think it's micro. Yeah. Yeah. It's it's just like, it's not smart, but yeah. You know, overall, the price point, that's the other thing that really surprises me with this because I think it's going
0: for 19 dollars US dollars. Which is crazy cheap for what it can do, especially when you compare it to like, you know an fx3 or something which it's you know kind of comparable to i guess
1: yeah for canadian listeners that equates to about like four thousand canadian dollars but that's totally cool but uh, (laughs) because our exchange is awful right now but the yeah yeah, that's great value i mean less than two thousand dollars that's a cheaper than the sony a7s3 that's cheaper than the fx30 that's cheaper Mm -hmm. than anything canon cinema r6 r5 r5c c70 you know, and that's all there. Plus, they also have the ability of, you know, shooting photos on this new yeah. S5 II, which, which
0: I actually really liked.
1: <laughs> yeah. If you can do stills and photo, like a lot of friends that I know working on sets are offering both video and stills. So that's yes. something I think which is also huge is, you know, your camera can do both. If you're mm-hmm. a BTS shooter, you can, you don't have to just do screen captures from Premiere. You can hop right into it. So if you're, it is a cinema camera,
0: but it's also a hybrid. So yeah, yeah are you gonna are you looking to pick one up yourself is that on the well it's funny i i mean maybe like if panasonic d- decided to send me one again for free i would definitely keep it yeah um, the the thing that kind of excites me a little bit is like the idea of them putting that in like a micro four-thirds camera in the future yes. like a g9 mark ii or something like that would be really sick like right now my olympus you know, they are, like, really good in autofocus and they do everything that I need them to do. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I don't feel that itch as much as probably, like, you know, an S5 shooter would. It's like, oh, man, if I just upgraded, then I can get, like, this great autofocus. That's actually something that I'm bringing up in my latest video where it's just, like, there's a lot of really good value Micro Four Thirds cameras that are, you know, still out there, but... Like, I've looked at some of the prices of a used S5 on eBay, and they're, like, $1,100. Oh, yeah. So it's almost, it's almost like, should you buy a GH5 for 800 or save up a little bit more and get an S5 with a bigger sensor, better in low light? You know, it's not great autofocus, but I would still take the autofocus off of an S5 over a GH5. You know what I mean? Especially yeah, in, like, the Super yeah. 35 mode.
1: The GH5 is a great camera, too, and I also actually had that camera as part of my, my workflow back in the day, too, and that still has such amazing value now. The GH6, which is yeah. another amazing micro four-thirds camera. The, I mean, the big thing about, I guess, that I've come to realize now shooting in the Canon ecosystem, our lenses are so expensive with yes. RF mount uh, lenses. Like, I don't even look at RF prices because it's the price of you know one what uh, recently i picked up a 24 to 70 sigma that i had to get for a shoot because i don't mm-hmm. have that focal ring a length uh, option in my my c70 an ef mount so that lens was like i think 1800 bucks canadian but like wow. the rf equivalent is about what was it 3700 or something yeah it, that's insane and it's the same aperture it's the same focal length it's the same build if not a bit more plasticky compared to sigma cuz sigma's more metal like yeah. It's ridiculous. Whereas like micro four thirds, you can get all sorts of lenses for such a cheap, affordable rate, like Surui anamorphics, which are, or suray or however we yeah. pronounce that. They, uh, those lenses, you can get a whole set for like, I don't know, 1,500 bucks I saw on eBay for the four different lenses. Yeah. You know, whereas like the, the suray RF mounts, uh, which I have, I think one of, that alone is like 2,000 bucks for, you know, uh, an anamorphic lens. and once you start shooting anamorphic, you want to keep shooting an anamorphic. So that's why it's, you know, working in the Micro, micro Four Thirds ecosystem is just such an affordable option for filmmakers. So yeah, absolutely. maybe they will make a, you know, G9 Mark II, but it looks like everyone's going full frame now because manufacturers can make more money when it comes to the size of the lenses as well as the cost they represent. So I don't yeah. know, like in terms of switching from an S5 to an S5 II, I but if there's a you know if i get decent return on my s5 which i always do with gear as i always sell it and and upgrade i would probably make the move to the s5 2x but you know the s5 is a really good camera and i love it even if the autofocus sucks i still use it for stills i still use it for travel i use it my channel all the time i know that camera inside out and backwards it
0: has anamorphic support as i was saying and yeah it's got such a like a, a robust image too. I feel like it's got like full V-log and I feel like the 10-bit stuff coming off of that, it looks like it should cost more for that camera than like what the image is producing. You know what I mean? Like it looks like a really, really high quality image and it's like, oh, it's from like Panasonic's like lower end full frame cameras, but it's still really, really good. And it matches the C70
1: really well. So a little, little trick and secret to Canon shooters, if you're looking for a B-cam, the S5 is a great option because the V-log matches the uh, c Log two really well, and I've had actually clients not even know the difference of what I was shooting on. You know, sometimes you can tell a difference between camera systems on on a shoot. You know, the yeah. B roll or the B cam or C cam, for example, can look a little different if you're using a different uh, different system. But the Lumix S5, so I'm guessing the S52X
0: and S52 will maintain that quality of vlog so yeah a buddy of mine uh dave mays he was flown out to japan and Amazing. he uses a c70 as well and he's he's having the s 52 be his b cam now because he just says that like they actually like they mesh really well so
1: wow yeah i mean yeah. like i was looking at patrick tomaso who's also another um mm-hmm. filmmaker who went out to japan and yeah. like i love his style of shooting and he worked a lot i think on the s5 as well but what you can get with the moment filters like Moment and the quality of like the, the Promist and the mm-hmm. Cinebloom filters that they have. That's what I've kind of become addicted to on my channel is like using that for everything. Yeah. But uh, they can really add an extra, extra level of dimension to your uh, your Lumix and S5 shooting. And you know, it's just, it's a smart way of making your camera more versatile and dare I say it more cinematic And its, it's approach. Yeah. So it makes it just a really smart overall camera.
0: So just real quick, do you have some of the Cinebloom filters?
1: I do. I have the 10% and I have the 27, or 10%, the 20%. uh, Yeah, the two filters that I have for the 67 millimeter thread, the 72, and I believe 82.
0: Okay, because I've been looking into... Uh, possibly get those because I just like I haven't tried them yet but I've had like the black pro mist I've had the glimmer glass yeah I have one from seven artisans which is it's a black mist filter okay it's essentially the same as like a tiffin but it blooms a little bit more than I would want it to yeah but I've always seen those those moment cine blooms and like huh I wonder I wonder how those work
1: The construction is really good. The build Mm -hmm. quality is great. The metal form factor is awesome. The quality of the glass is really good. It comes in a nice little kind of hard uh, plastic, container which is also pretty cool yeah. and they have different options for carrying cases it's not like I'm endorsing moment here on your channel but yeah <laughs> um, but no it's really it's a really smart option they are a bit pricey compared to some other manufacturers out there but you're paying for quality I find Polar Pro makes miss filters as well as well as ND filters and variable NDs they're a bit more expensive the results I haven't seen are that much different I have the Polar Pro Basecamp map box that I use for most of my filmmaking and it's great uh, it's a wonderful map box to use but it's very expensive so so yeah. if you can utilize things like Moment for your everyday shooting, like it's just smart filmmaking gear. Then I'd check it out. I mean, see if, yeah. if they can send you something to review. It's really worth, uh, you know, having that kind of extra component
0: to your kit. Yeah, absolutely. And That's something that I've always been kind of like battling. Is like, should I try to like you know like dirty up my really clean lenses, or should I start buying vintage lenses again? Because I've gone through like this <laughs> cycle of like you know, buying a bunch of vintage lenses and then just like selling them off because I'm just, you know, accumulating too many of them. I yeah. do feel like it's it's always a little bit easier, just, you know, put a diffusion filter on your nice lens and try to get that same kind of, you know, filmic quality, I guess.
1: Yeah, I think like for me, like the mandate for 2023 is to kind of minimize my gear, my gear set down and, and really yeah. use what I have in my kit. So. Like, I have the Sigma glass series for my my, my Canon uh, C70, plus I've also got some other EF glass there, too. But I had SLR Magic lenses that I never really used a lot of. Uh, they were EF mount. They were APO primes, and they are mm-hmm. really, really good. But... They were kind of clunky and kind of heavy and the focus pull is stiff so if you're using a tilta nucleus pole i found they didn't often like to jive that well with the focus poles hmm. so i've sold those and i'm looking to now invest because i have one of these lenses it's the maka or mica cine primes yeah, uh, i've been seeing a lot of those they're really good and i saw like a recent review where someone compared them to the the canon cine series of lenses and mm-hmm. like, they were almost spot on. And the That's price awesome. point is like a thousand bucks a lens. So wow. it's it's worth, I think, investing in those. So I might pick up like maybe later this year, a, a 50 or a I think of 32, cause I have the 85 already. But yes. then just rocking that out. So I'd have that as my cinema lens set, then I got my EF glass, and then maybe an anamorphic for spice, but then keep it at that. But like not
0: build out lenses until your, you know, lens cupboard is full of all kinds of lenses you don't use. That's my biggest thing is I don't want to have like this huge collection of lenses that totally. I think I'm going to use. But then I <laughs> never actually use them. Like my two lenses that I've been using pretty regularly are like my Sigma 16. Oh, yeah. Uh, for micro four thirds, which I love. That's an awesome lens. This little guy, the Sigma 30 millimeter. Cool. And I'm probably gonna get like the 56 at some point. And apparently Sigma's coming out with like some wide lenses, like a 10 mil or something, which I'm stoked on, but. Those
1: are awesome um, for like, you know, kind of oh, real true video shoots. Anyone's a real true video uh, videographer out there. I would yeah. highly recommend 10 millimeters to 12 if they can come out with Sigma, that'd be wild.
0: Well, what other gear do you use besides just like your C70 and lenses? Cause I know you just released a video on the OCT five plus which I guess I kind of influenced you to get. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Your, your video is awesome. I mean, <laughs> the monitor separately, like your are running video where
1: you're running with your friend. Like I'm still amazed yeah. how smooth that was. Like I've used warp stabilization and I've maxed it out from like shooting at my F stop all the way to whatever on my camera to try and see if I can open up as much light or condense it down. I still can't get that yeah. level of smoothness. So props to you. Oh, um, yeah, the, the the OC is just smart because my Ninja uh, V or 5 or whatever it is, it, yeah. it started to give me like a really yellow hue to my, my video. And so <laughs> I sent it off to Montreal to calibrate because that's the nearest Atomos calibration center in Canada. Okay. Um, and it took like three weeks and I needed to shoot on a, you know, a, a, a shoot I had recently coming or that was in the past that I had to provide a monitor solution for. And so I saw your video and you know, I ordered it and it came within like literally 48 hours so yeah. fast and yeah. you know, it's smart. It was affordable and that's another thing about 2023 is like trying to find budget-friendly gear that gets the job done that doesn't, you know, massively hit your wallet for results. And so, yeah, you inspired me to make a video on it. So I was like, yeah. you know what? Screw it. I'm making a video talking about this because any monitor that has anamorphic support and an SD card, you know, option for LUTs and being able to view your color grade in the monitor, and then yeah. ha- you know, has the ability of shooting with a thousand nits of brightness like yeah for 145 bucks or whatever it's crazy that's still one thousand dollars canadian but you know (laughs) signing (laughs) signing yourself up for those kind of features you know it's really something that you know especially for even for professionals like you can still use that as a a monitor for a director's monitor or an assistant director's monitor you know it's really versatile because you can plug in a hollyland to it and you can just run a signal off of it too so yeah. yeah, you're right. 149 bucks American for that. Like everyone should be buying OC products if they continue yeah. to make that kind of level of quality.
0: Well, I think I just have one more question for you and it's yeah. kind of... I guess it could take as long to answer as you want. But if you had any tips on building a creative career, because that's something that, you know, I feel like you've done uh, pretty well. And that's, I know like a lot of my audience is, you know, kind of looking to do what you do, you know, like be like freelance, a video creator, or, you know, start a production company. And that's something that like, you know, that's one thing that I want to do more in 2023 is create more actual work, not just YouTube videos, but like actually do paid projects. So just, I guess, any tips or thoughts you had on, you know, starting a creative career?
1: Yeah. I mean, there's there's so many different ways to, to go about this. And it's a whole like podcast unto itself. And yeah, as I said, with like learning videography, I still feel like I'm learning this every day doing this. But, you know, from, from my journey, obviously, you know, as a company, we started in web design, went to video afterwards. But I kind of, if you're inspired to make your dream or what you love doing a business, the most the, I guess the smartest way to start your process of creating this business or said business is to make sure you have like a dedicated list of what you want to do, but find the smartest solution for doing it and the cheapest solution to get yourself going. And then start to de- you know develop client bases and then have, you know, an idea of, of a shooting schedule and incorporate everything you've learning on YouTube, like shot lists and storyboarding and all that kind of stuff into the day-to-day style of making your business. So by saying that, I mean like finding a team that you can work with or subcontract out to that, you know, A, wants to work with you, B, you can afford to work with, and C, can maybe also showcase the work that you're doing for their audiences and, and, and their client base as well. So you can kind of grow. The, I, I, I would also say to start out your business is to try and, and target what you want to work in first. So if you want to work in realty, mm-hmm. focus on realty and realtor videos and that style of video. So you can really start to get into a certain niche. So you're not like riding your horse and jumping off in every direction. Because I find like in video, it's very simple to be like, you know, I want to shoot car commercials and I, I want to shoot music videos or narratives or, you know, promotional brand videos or whatever else. And it can be hard to, gain an audience or gain clients in every single different sector because when a client comes to you asking to see your work or your reel, if it's too spread out, they often can envision their project for what you do. So especially for someone starting out, try and hone your skills into one area and then grow from there after you get yourself a bit of a base. Another thing too is to like, I'd always suggest to make reels regularly. They say mm-hmm. like once a year is a good thing, but I, for a starting videographer, I would say make a reel every, you know, six, six months, six to eight months, because not only does it give you an idea of how your progress is and showing the client what you're doing, but it also enables you to like watch your progress, see what you like, and then think, okay, for the next reel, I'm going to do this, or I'm going to do that. But yeah, I mean, start small. Don't go massive. Keep your overhead low, <laughs> Because obviously that can get really expensive if you have like a, you know, a studio you're shooting in, that's additional cost or if you know have insurances or if you have like subscriptions and all that kind of stuff, it can start to really grow fast. And as as videographers go, we all know that like, you know, we make money to spend money in a sense on gear and, you know, in tech and editing and all that sort of jazz. But You know, finding a team I think is really crucial, like finding a, you know, a great shooting partner or an editor or, you know, a director that you can work with or potentially maybe even a media company that needs to have someone come on board as a freelance videographer or as a BTS videographer, marketing, that sort of thing. And just like getting yourself skills that way. But yeah, I mean I'm still I'm still learning at my company and we've done so much in many different areas, especially in, in music and music yeah. videos. And that's that's kind of where I guess because an opera singer, you know, by by trade and by my, you know, I guess education that I came from, I was able to use my my contacts I have in that industry to give me, you know, that starting basis to do video. So whatever industry you have familiarity with or have friends in and contacts will always help you grow. But network too, I mean that's like talking to you is amazing because obviously we both share the idea and, and, and the love of working with efficient and budget-friendly camera systems, but it enables us to also interact with, you know, your audience and you can interact with my audience. And so, yeah. cause that's, that's kind of the, I think a secret sauce too, for being able to succeed is to really
0: network yourself out. That's a lot of information I just said, but no, no, absolutely. That was good. Yeah. That's great advice. And I mean, for anyone who hasn't seen Steven's work, like you do some some really good stuff, and even oh, thanks, man. I'm pretty sure, like I was watching a bit of your videos before we started talking, and I think I can even tell my my listeners won't be able to hear this, but the picture behind you that's from your shoot with uh, Catherine O'Hara, wasn't it?
1: Yeah, yeah, we shot the Governor General's Performing Arts Awards during the the pandemic, and. Yeah, we work with Noah Reed. So we did a music video with him and that was fantastic. If you
0: haven't checked out Stephen's work, I'm definitely going to leave everything in the show notes below. Stephen, thank you so much for jumping on this podcast and talking with me. It's always fun uh, talking gear and talking about this industry. It's always just, I feel like we could probably, you know, just, you know, keep on talking for hours and hours. But <laughs> yeah, thank you so much for coming on the podcast, man. I really appreciate it.
1: It's my pleasure, and, and I'm inspired by your work. And I can't see, I can't wait to see what you you have cooking up this year. And like I say all the time, if you're in Toronto, Nigel, I'd love to collaborate on something with no, you. Or if, yeah, for sure. If I go to Texas or Portland, but um, yeah. but yeah, I th- I'm inspired to see what you can do because I've seen your cinematic, you know, videos and examples that you've had for gear. year. So. I mean, companies will love to work with you and the style that you that you represent, as well as the I think the value you give because not only do you shoot, you edit, you you know you storyboard, you 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 work in so many facets of film, and I guess that's one more thing for videographers is like, you know, you you wear so many hats, but if you're good at all those hats, you know, it really is
0: something that offers a lot of value to a client. Thanks, man, I appreciate it. Yeah, cool. Well, yeah, thanks again for coming on, and I'll definitely have to have you on again. Absolutely, can't wait.